Welcome to the third season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. This ministry is here to teach you Bible truth. Teaching truth allows you to grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. I sometimes read entire books in the Bible so you can know the story, not just the scripture. I also teach a series about a certain subject, so I want you to invite family and friends. Get your Bibles, grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Now sit back, relax, and learn Bible truth. Good day, saints. Happy Saturday. I hope this day finds you and your family well. I am your host, the founder and teacher of Learning Bible Truth, Dr. Kamla D. And we have reached episode number nine. Yes, we have two more episodes left in this series. I could have stretched it to 16, but I decided to end it in 11 episodes because I think you will have enough information to believe to understand and to receive the fact that Jesus Christ, or shall I say Christ Jesus, that's his exalted name, will be returning soon based on Bible truth. Okay, so in episode eight, we ended talking about uh, the scriptures say another specific alignment of nations is an even greater sign of Christ's return. And today we see that alliance forming. So we are going to talk a lot about history again. I will be sharing more scriptures from the book of Revelation written by John the Revelator, who was given the revelation of the end times by our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus himself. And I will be comparing those revelations from the book of Revelation to Daniel's prophecy, the prophet Daniel. So saints, we are going to delve into a lot of history. I will be talking about some nations that had not formed an alliance before, and they are forming an alliance today. Okay. And so let's get this truth on the road. I am tired. I I must mention that first. And You guys know the ones who have been listening to me on a regular basis. I typically talk fast, especially if I'm if I am speaking live. But I've been trying to slow down so that you guys don't have to rewind the tape and and replay something so you can understand it. So if you hear me talking fast and then you hear me slow down, that's because I realize I'm talking fast and I decided to slow down. And then I may pick up again. That's just the facts of of how I speak when I'm not live. Now, if I'm live, I speak based on the body language I read from the audience. So with that said, let's get this truth on the road. More than 2,600 years ago, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had a dream. Now, this dream was perplexed in its meaning. He commanded his royal astrologers and magicians to tell him what the dream meant. And they said, what did you dream? 
But Nebuchadnezzar, if you guys know the story, it's in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar knew it would be a mistake to reveal his dream. If the wise men in his court were so wise, they would know the meaning of the dream and what the dream was about. Now that seemed reasonable. So the king refused to tell them his dream. And just as the king suspected, no one in his court could recount and interpret his dream. But while none of the wise men in his court could perform this feat, one man in Babylon could. His name was Daniel. Daniel, known to us as the prophet Daniel. Daniel was a slave taken captive from the conquered nation of Israel. Daniel worshiped the God of Abraham. Hallelujah. Isaac and Jacob. Whenever I have to mention the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, it just goes through my spirit because that's the God, the true and living God who created the heavens and the earth saints. We worship that same God. His name is Yahweh. Yes. And Jehovah represents the many characteristics of Yahweh. Jehovah is Jesus. And that's what the name of Jesus mean. It means Jehovah has become our salvation. So let me say this again. We worship the same God, those who are in Christ Jesus, that Daniel worshiped. Now, I can tell you your dream and its meaning, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar. Not because I'm wise, but because there's a God in heaven, hallelujah, who reveals things like this to me. And that's in Daniel chapter two, verse 28, if you guys want to read it. Now, Daniel went on to describe the king's dream. You dreamed of a beautiful statue of a man with a head of gold. And I want y'all to listen closely. I'm going to paraphrase uh, through here. I'm going to be reading Daniel chapter two, verses 31 through 35, but I'm not quoting scripture. I'm paraphrasing through here so you guys can understand. Okay. So, uh, Daniel began to interpret the dream. He said, you dreamed of a beautiful statue of a man with a head of gold and not interpret first. He's telling him what he dreamed first, and then he's going to interpret the dream. Okay. And a chest of arms of silver, a belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and a feet made from a combination of iron and clay. A rock supernaturally cut from a mountain crushed the statue and that rock became a great mountain covering the whole earth. And once again, that's in Daniel chapter two, verses 31 through 35. Now, God revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream to the prophet Daniel. And fortunately for us saints, Daniel told the king what that dream was and what it meant. Daniel explained that the statue, listen carefully, that the statue represents a series of kingdoms. The first is Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. So the statue's head of gold is a symbol of the kingdom of Babylon. But when Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom comes to an end, another great kingdom will replace it. The chest and arms of silver are a symbol of this kingdom's power. In turn, a third kingdom will destroy the second kingdom. The bronze stomach and thighs represent this third kingdom. And a fourth kingdom will replace the third. And it will be as strong as iron. 
it will smash and destroy all the previous empires and the legs of iron represent it. Okay, are you following me? The feet and toes made of iron and clay represent the final empire. So why? Why does the dream mention iron and clay? Because this final empire will be an alliance of 10 kingdoms. Okay, saints, did you catch that? It's final, final alliance or it's final kingdom or the final empire will be an alliance of 10 kingdoms. Now, some strong like iron and some weak like clay. They will try to strengthen themselves by forming a union, but they will fail just as iron and clay do not mix. That's in Daniel chapter two, verses 38 through 43. Now, Daniel's prophecy is more than 26 centuries old. And the historical record shows that all but one of these kingdoms, the last has appeared and disappeared just as Daniel predicted it would. Now, I'm going to share a list of the kingdoms from Nebuchadnezzar's dream, okay? It is five of them. One, Babylon is the first one. Number two, Medo-Persia. Three is Greece. Four is Rome. And five is, listen carefully, the Ten Nation Alliance. Now, the first kingdom, which is the head of gold, was Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. In 539 BC, the Medo-Persia Empire, which is the chest and the arms of silver, conquered Babylon. In 331 BC, Alexander the Great defeated Darius in the Battle of Gagamila. And the Greek Empire, which is the bronze stomach and thighs, took control of Israel. Then in 168 BC, the Greek Empire fell to the Roman Empire, which is the legs of iron. Now, in the fourth century, the Roman Empire split in two with Rome as the center of power in the west and Constantinople as the center of the power in the east. The statue's two legs of iron symbolize this split. In 467, Rome fell to German invaders. Now, Constantinople held out until 1453 when the Ottoman Turks conquered the city. Now that leaves one kingdom remaining saints, the feet and the toes of iron and clay. So, and what do we know about this? We know from Daniel that it's a 10 nation alliance. We also know it's composed of strong and weak members, yet it will conquer the world before it's conquered itself. And the kingdom that destroys it will last forever. Mm, let me say that again. And the kingdom that destroys it will last forever is what I want you to focus on. The rock cut from the mountain represents this final everlasting kingdom. It's the kingdom, and you got it, of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, after Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the king installed Daniel as ruler of the province of Babylon and chief of all the wise men in his court. That's in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Now, Daniel interpreted other dreams for the king and served in his court for years. Now, after Nebuchadnezzar's death, God showed Daniel another vision. In this vision, Daniel saw four world empires, each represented by a beast. That's in Daniel 7 verses 1 through 28. An angel 
revealed that these four beasts represent four kingdoms. That's in Daniel 7, 17. In hindsight, we know that these four kingdoms are the following Babylon, Metal Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now they're the first four kingdoms represented in the statue. And the contrast between Daniel's vision and Nebuchadnezzar's dream revealed the difference between God's view of the world and humanity's view of the world. Because in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes, these same kingdoms represent a beautiful statue. That's in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes, which represents the eyes of the world. But in God's eyes, saints, they represent horrible beasts. Now, the angel noted that the fourth beast, which is Rome, will be exceedingly powerful. All the previous governments represented in Nebuchadnezzar's statue will give way to this powerful world government. Now, 10 kings will rule this fourth kingdom. Now, different from the previous kingdoms, it will conquer the entire world and destroy everything in its path. The 10 toes or Nebuchadnezzar's statue represent the same 10 kings who rule the fourth beast. That's in Daniel chapter two, verses 41 through 43. But Daniel chapter seven, excuse me if you hear some noise because I just bumped the mic. But in Daniel chapter seven, it reveals something else. An 11th king will come to power. It will subdue three of the 10 kings and consolidate power for himself. That's in Daniel seven verses 23 through 25. Now, given all this information, saints, we have to ask ourselves one question. Does this fourth beast really represent Rome? After all, Rome achieved great power, but it never completely conquered the earth. And 10 kings never jointly ruled the Roman Empire. Yet, that's what Daniel 7 clearly describes. Okay, so what does all this mean? It means exactly what it says it means. The Roman Empire, while ruled by 10 kings, will conquer the entire earth. But the earth won't be conquered by the ancient Roman Empire. It will be conquered by a future Roman Empire. Now, the Bible says the Roman Empire will come back. Now, we may have some scholars that disagree with me, and this is what I have to say to them. Bring it. Bring it. Because when I share Bible truth, I share Bible truth. And just because you don't believe something don't mean it's not Bible truth. It's still Bible truth. And I will say that again. The Bible says the Roman Empire will come back. Now, I want you to remember that the same Bible also predicted that Israel would come back and many people didn't believe it would, but Israel is back. Okay. Because the Bible predicted that Israel will come back. Also remember that no fifth beast appears in Daniel's vision. And we know from history that the fourth beast is Rome because it conquered the third beast in Daniel's vision. Alexander's divided Greek empire and history records that Rome conquered the remnants of Alexander's empire. So Daniel's vision is telling us that the Roman empire will come back. And when the Roman empire comes back, 10 kings will initially share power until a single king consolidates power over the entire kingdom. Now you probably heard of this king before. He's known throughout the world, even by people who don't read the Bible, who don't know the Bible, who don't understand the Bible and who don't even believe in the Bible. His name is, get ready, the Antichrist. Okay, now knowing that the Antichrist will be the final kingdom's ruler, 
it makes sense that the fourth beast, which is Rome, is destroyed by the second coming of Christ Jesus. That's in Daniel chapter seven, verses 26 and 27. In fact, when Jesus referred to himself as the son of man in um, Mark 14, 62, excuse me, he referenced this same vision where one like the son of man comes on the clouds of heaven, one whose rule is eternal and whose kingdom is everlasting. Now that's in Mark 14, 62, when Jesus said this, now let's compare that to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. You can compare the two scriptures. Now at the time of the second coming of Christ, Jesus isn't coming just to destroy the Antichrist, but to break forever the iron rule of the Antichrist kingdom, which is a revived Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire will return, saints, just as surely as Israel returned. How can we be certain of this? Because the Bible declared it. In fact, the nationality of the Antichrist serves as further confirmation that a revived Roman Empire is the final world power prior to the second coming of Christ Jesus. Because the book of Daniel says that the Antichrist will come from among the people whose armies destroyed the city and the temple. Now that's recorded in Daniel chapter 9 verse 26. And it specifically says when they will destroy the temple saints, it says after the Messiah is crucified. That's Daniel 9 26. Now, and thanks to history, we know exactly when that happened. History reveals that the crucifixion of Jesus took place in AD 31. So did armies then come and destroy Jerusalem and the temple? I may ask you. Yes, they did. In AD 70, Titus led the Roman legions into Israel to put down an insurrection. Now, this resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, just as Daniel predicted it. And since Daniel stated that the Antichrist will come from among the people who destroyed the city and the temple, history confirms that the Antichrist will come from among the Roman people. But the idea that, Ro that the Roman Empire will return is not an idea confined just to Daniel alone. Now, the book of Revelation says the same thing. Now, toward the end of the first century, while exiled on the island of Patmos, John the Revelator saw a vision of a woman sitting on a scarlet beast with seven heads and ten horns. So fortunately, as with Daniel, an angel revealed the true meaning to John. The seven heads represent seven kings. And the angel explicitly says, five have fallen, the sixth reigns, and the seventh is yet to come. But his reign is brief. That's in Revelation chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. So who are these seven kings? They represent the seven kingdoms that have or will trample the nation of Israel. Now, historically, these are those nations. Okay, the seven nations I'm getting ready to list. Number one is Egypt. Number two is Assyria. Number three is Babylon. Number four is Medo-Persia. Number five is Greece. Number six is Rome. And number seven is the revived Roman Empire. Now, remember, John wrote the book of Revelation at the end of the first century when the Roman Empire was at the height of its power. Now, at that time, 
the first five kingdoms had already fallen. The sixth kingdom reigned, which was Rome, and the seventh was yet to come, meaning the revived Roman Empire. Now, the beast itself represents the Antichrist and his kingdom, and its ten horns are ten kings who will one day rise to power and reign with the Antichrist. They will give all their power and authority to the Antichrist kingdom, which is the revived Roman Empire. That's written in Revelation 17 verses 11 through 13. Now, these are the same 10 kings symbolized by the feet and toes of iron and clay in Nebuchadnezzar's dream written in Daniel 2, 41 through 43. Now, as further confirmation that this final kingdom is a revived version of Roman Empire, John describes the same beast in Revelation 13. He says one of the heads of the beast will seem wounded beyond recovery, but its fatal wound will be healed. That's in Revelation 13 verse 3. So what does this mean, saints? Well, think about it for a second. If each head represents a kingdom, then what it's saying is that one of the kingdoms will appear to be destroyed, but it will come back to life. That's why these scriptures have to be rightly divided because a lot of people should, they are very confused when reading the book of revelation. Number one, God didn't call you to be a teacher and God didn't call you to rightly divide. What God called is for his teachers to rightly divide the scriptures and that you ask for understanding and it is our job not to complicate it. And it is God's job to give you the revelation of the scriptures as the teachers rightly divide the scriptures. Ooh, that made me out of breath. Well, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Okay. So let me say this again. Now, so I asked, what does this mean? Now, if each head represents a kingdom, then what it's saying is that one of the kingdoms will appear to be destroyed, but it will come back to life. And we know from Daniel's description of the four beasts written in Daniel seven verses one through 28, that the final kingdom is Rome. So John is telling us that the Roman empire will be destroyed or let, let's say this, um, that the Roman empire will be destroyed, but it will also be restored. Okay, so if the second coming is close at hand and the Bible says that Jesus Christ will destroy a revived version of the Roman Empire, shouldn't we see evidence or signs of this coming world kingdom? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we, saints? Now, shouldn't we see evidence that the Roman Empire is on the road to revival? Shouldn't we see evidence of weak and strong nations trying to strengthen themselves by by forming an alliance? Yes, we should. And I don't think it's a coincidence we see those things happening today, saints. Now, in the aftermath of World War II, Europe lay in utter ruin, okay? Many of its leaders believed that increased economic cooperation would significantly decrease the odds of another devastating war. Now, the result was in 1950, the European coal and steel community united six nations and their names are Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. Now, they were under a single plan for managing their coal and steel industries. Now, the idea was that under this type of agreement, each nation would be unable to build weapons of war without the permission of the others. In addition, the agreement intertwined the best interests of each nation, making war less likely. 
This idea worked so well that the nations decided to expand the agreement back in 1957. They signed the Treaty of Rome, creating the European Economic Community, also known as the EEC, and expanding cooperation into other economic sectors. Now, back in 1973, three more nations, Denmark, Ireland, and the United Kingdom, joined the EEC. In the 1980s, Greece, Portugal, and Spain joined it. Then, in a major step toward greater unification, in 1992, the Maastricht Treaty replaced the EEC with the European Union, also known as the EU. The new treaty established parameters for a, re a, a unified currency and foreign and security policy. Okay, now back in 1999, the EU introduced the euro. Actual euro notes and coins were in circulation by 2002. Today, the EU includes 27 nations encompassing more than, check this out, 500 million people. Now, I am not saying that the European Union is the kingdom in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That is not what I'm saying, at least not yet. But it does have some curious parallels. First, it encompasses Rome itself, that the treaty initiating the new superstate is named the Treaty of Rome is no small detail, saints. And many of the racial and culture descendants of the Roman Empire live in the 27 nations that now comprise the EU. But more importantly, saints, the entire purpose of the European Union is to collectively strengthen the member nations through alliance, just as the statues, iron and clay feet and toes would attempt to strengthen themselves through intermarriage. That's written in Daniel 2:43. Okay. Now, according to the prophet Daniel, some parts of the alliance will be as strong as iron while other parts will be as weak as clay. This describes the European Union. Now, as of 2013, the European Union contains the world's fourth, fifth, and sixth largest economies, Germany, France, and the United Kingdom, but it also contains the world's 102nd, 121st, and 136th largest economies, Estonia, Iceland, and Malta. Okay. The European Union is literally a loosely connected confederation of nation states, some strong and some weak. And this is precisely the type of arrangement the Bible says will exist in the time just prior to Christ's return. So why do I say this isn't necessarily the kingdom foreseen in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, at least as of right now? Because the Bible says that 10 kings will rule the revived Roman Empire. And right now, the, the European Union is not ruled by 10 kings. For a while, the 10-member Western European Union, which is also known as WEU, it looked like a possibility. But it disbanded in 2011. Now, will a new 10-nation council take its place? I don't know, saints. And it's doubtful. Anyone will know until this type of alliance emerges. But what we do know now is this. The framework currently exists for the emergence of a revived Roman Empire. An empire in the exact form that Daniel foretold for the last days. 
So how many generations over the past 2,600 years can make that same claim? The answer is only one, this generation, the generation that we live in. So as I conclude episode nine, saints, I want you to, to listen carefully. The Bible says that 10 kings who rule a revived Roman empire will cede their power to the Antichrist a man who will rule as a global dictator for 42 months. And that's written in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses three through five. Now, immediately after this three and a half year period, that's that's 43 months. No, that's that's um, 42 months, saints. After this three and a half year period, Christ Jesus will come back to earth and establish an everlasting kingdom. Now, if it's true, that the second coming is close at hand, we should see signs or clues of a revived Roman empire on the horizon. So what do we see? Well, while men of past generations tried to restore the Roman empire through conquest, uh, Charlemagne, uh, Napoleon and Hitler come to mind. Ours is the only generation of the past 2,600 years positioned to fulfill the prophecies of the prophet Daniel and John the Revelator. Only now do we see strong and weak European nations joining an alliance. Only now do we see shadows of the European superstate outlined in the scriptures. The stage is set for a 10 nation alliance of weak and strong nations to emerge in Western Europe. Now the European Union has a common currency and common diplomatic interests. And it's trending toward even greater political integration. Now, according to the Bible, this is exactly what we'll see in the days and years leading up to the second coming of Christ. Now, sometime soon, 10 kings will emerge from the ashes of the Roman Empire. Now, when they give their power to the Antichrist, the new Rome will consume everything in its path. It will be more powerful than any nation state in human history. And it won't just conquer its neighbor saints like previous empires did. It will conquer every last square inch of the entire world. So saints, I must stop now because I'm tired. But I'm telling you, I, I know those of you are very interested because you guys are emailing me and, and asking questions for clarification. And, and you guys can't wait to um, hear this episode. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I advise you to go all the way back to episode one and listen all the way until you get to nine. And that way you can catch up because these are not the only signs that Christ is coming soon. And if your church, the pastor or teachers in your congregation is not teaching you this, I don't know why they are not. It could be for a few reasons. One, they don't know. They weren't called to preach. They weren't called to teach. And maybe they don't know. Or maybe the pastor, the current pastor, just don't think um, it's, it's necessary at this time. But it is because signs are popping up all over this world that Christ is on his way, which means the rapture will take place at any time because the rapture comes before the second coming of Christ. And I'm here to tell you, there's a rap that will take place and we won't be here for it. Those who are in Christ are saved from the wrath that is coming. And I want to take this time out to acknowledge uh, one person in particular who sent me an email. 
she is an avid listener. She's following this series. Um, I'm not going to mention her last name, but her name is Maya. And she had some interest about wearing makeup, you know, um, wearing makeup, representing Jezebel, Jezebel and, 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 um, only 2% of, of, of the world population is going to be saved. And I had to correct her. I said, well, we don't know how many people will be saved. What we do know is that hundreds of millions of people will be saved. Millions of people, if not millions, thousands of people are being saved every day. And that's why we have to preach the gospel. We shall never stop preaching the gospel. So we don't know how many people will be saved, but it's way more than 2%. I mean, we can't predict the, the uh, percentage. And as for wearing makeup, it has nothing to do with your salvation. Absolutely nothing. Just don't worship it. Because whatever you worship, whatever has your attention, the majority of the day when you wake up, and from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, that's who your God is. So most likely you aren't saved if you are worshiping money, if you are worshiping clothes, if you are worshiping the things of the world, if you are worshiping makeup, you know, you, maybe you need to find Christ. So with that said, uh, thank you, Maya, because um, I do know that is not the only question you sent me. And I know you don't know. Yes, I remember you. I remember you asked me a question before last year. So keep sending the questions. I am more than happy to clarify or answer your questions. So saints, for those of you who are listening, who hasn't accepted the Messiah as Lord and Savior, you can stay on air and wait for the invitation to come on and you follow that invitation and you accept Christ. Because let me tell you something. Today is the day of salvation, saints. Tomorrow is not promised to you because when the door is closed, you can accept him. There will come a time when Christ will no longer be available to you. So now is the acceptable time. So with that said, saints, peace out. If you don't know the risen Savior, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Saints, tomorrow is not promised to you. There will be a time where Jesus Christ will no longer be available to you, and those who call upon the Lord will not be saved. So all you have to do is repeat after me. Go to Romans chapter 10. And we are going to read verses 9 and 10. You can include verse 11 so that it can give you understanding of verse 9 and 10. So saints, God made his salvation plan simple for every man, every walk of life, every ethnicity, every color of skin to come to him and be reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus. So let's say this prayer. In all sincerity, Father God, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead, and your word says, if I confess this, that I am saved. So Father God, I believe that Jesus is your son, and he is Lord, and I confess with my mouth that he is seated at your right hand because you raised him from the dead. Amen. Saints, if you made that confession and you were sincere, you should feel a change in your heart. That is the seal of the Holy Spirit, and you are sealed unto the day of redemption, 
and no man can take your salvation away from you. So saints, I want you to join a faith-based teaching church. Contact Learning Bible Truth. You can continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth until you find a church home. Contact us and tell us what area you live in and we will conduct a search and tell you what church is teaching Bible truth and direct you to that church so that you can be baptized. Yes, you are not saved by water baptism. Water baptism is symbolic to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you come up out of that water, you come up as a new man, but you are saved before you get baptized. So saints, I hope that you were sincere Play this tape for family and friends. Lead men to the risen Christ for salvation because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And that is the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, you can contact us by emailing talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. If you would like to sow a seed in this growing ministry, you may access the front page on the podcast you are listening to and click on the support button. Or you can cash out the ministry at dollar sign Dr. Kamala D. That is at dollar sign, capital D, lowercase r, capital C, lowercase a-m-a-l-e, capital D, and donate any amount. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver, and so do we. So until next time, believers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not the word of man. We walk by faith and not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, serving you with Christ Jesus, our Lord, in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Peace out.